You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up on today's show, FTX contagion continues while Binance CEO CZ seeks to be the new savior of crypto. We'll reflect on the fallout with one of the early FTX investors. Plus, President Biden and China's Xi Jinping have charted a path towards warmer ties between the two nations. We can discuss the impact on the technology sector, particularly chips. And amid crypto concerns, tech layoffs and geopolitical worries, can startups still raise money? Yes, we are going to be speaking with legendary VC investor Vinod Kozler, plus an exclusive conversation with Maven Clinic CEO on its latest funding round. We want to think about the long-term investment opportunities right now within well crypto many people dialing back that particular trade at the moment they might still be looking at the metaverse but maybe not ftx the collapse still being felt and indeed in bahamas the bahamian police and regulators there saying that they're working to investigate whether there was actually criminal misconduct ed in the collapse of the crypto empire this after interviewing ftx's co-founder sam bankman fried on saturday bloomberg's katanga johnson is based in nassau in the bahamas and has been following this story for us and katanga i mean Give us the latest in terms of the impact, particularly on Sam Bankman-Fried at the moment. We understand, of course, he was sat down with the police on Saturday. Here in the Bahamas, yes, authorities have began investigating Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, uh, particularly around Friday's withdrawals from local investors who, at the same time that uh, many local investors were able to withdraw their money from the platform, uh, global investors had been shut out. And while the company said it had gotten a nod from the regulator to allow for this, given a key a loophole in regulations here, uh, the regulator said it did not in any way suggest or approve for FTX to allow such withdrawals. Uh, this is just one of the touching points right now uh, on the ground as regulators, both the Bahamas Securities Commission as well as the Financial Crimes Unit of the police, look into this matter. Authorities say they're still investigating, yet they haven't come to any sort of conclusion. But once they do, they'll make a recommendation to the public prosecutor who will then actually uh, begin uh, a criminal misconduct probe. Well, that would be my question, Katanga. What kind of trouble is Sam Bankman freed in in the Bahamas? What kind of repercussions does he and FTX face? 
It's a little too soon to tell. It, it will depend on whether the findings of these investigations suggest that he did engage in criminal misconduct. Uh, just some of the color on the ground is that many investors uh, that we've spoken to, and there's been reporting on this, uh, just feel in some ways betrayed. Some are trying to make sense of the person they knew, who they either worked with day to day or came to trust uh, as he was uh, busy building a community center, beginning the launch of the uh, other FCX headquarters we're standing in front of the more current one where they're building a new one that included in the hotel. Many people felt as if there were so many efforts to, to advance the presence of crypto in the Bahamas and uh, SBF's reputation certainly um, ruined that potential, some people have, have, have told us. I'm sure a lot of emotions where you are right now, Katanga Johnson, of course, in the Bahamas. We thank you so much for your reporting throughout the day. Now, let's get back to, of course, the wider cryptosphere right now. Bloomberg Shanali Basak has been all across what is not only a criminal probe for SBF, also looking within the SEC as well. But what about the impact on the money he's lost for others. What are the ripple effects, the contagion effects on some big money managers here in the U.S. and worldwide? Yeah, let's take a look directly at the ones that are reporting their exposure. Some of them have a large amount of their own capital tied up. Galos Capital, for example, has set up to $45 million worth, a significant amount, they say. Ikigai also says a large majority of their capital was tied as well to FTX. Galaxy Digital had $77 million, except for that was only about 4% of their capital base. They will walk away from this just fine with a bruise in terms of uh, what they have lost. Genesis, of course, we know has been working with DCG and they have 175 million tied to this. So this is just starting to emerge. I had a conversation late Friday with Michael Novogratz of Galaxy Digital and he expects his former uh, estimation of dozens of hedge funds failing will only start to exacerbate in this type of a market. And then, Caroline, that brings us to the next point here, which is that CZ, Chang Peng Zhao of Binance, wants to start an industry fund here to rescue firms that have exposure to FTX, but perhaps are good projects to be working with, ones that were honest projects. There were a variety of responses to this. He had a Twitter spaces, asked me anything this morning. But in terms of what investors were reacting to to this, you have folks like Justin Sun saying that he, Tron, Poloniex, and Huobi would be very uh, very reticent, or not reticent, rather they would like to echo the recovery fund here and help these builders in a tough time. On the reticent side now is someone like a Peter Schiff, who says that let's maybe not spend money rescuing projects that shouldn't be saved. He said it's not a good idea to throw good money after bad. Mm. So moral hazard has been a looming question since the beginning of these crypto industry issues here, and now you're really coming to see this debate out to play on who gets saved and how. Shanali, are we really in a situation now where CZ is kind of positioning himself as the industry saviour? Well, we sure have him coming out with this industry fund. I think a question here is, again, who gets saved and who participates in a fund like this? How much money is put into a fund like this? It's interesting, when we were doing all the references, Ed, on what this looks the most like, whether it's an MF Global or if it's an LTCM-type moment, uh, an idea of an industry-wide bailout of sorts has come up a lot to rescue projects that might have had their money tied up into FTX. Otherwise, who would do it at this point? 
point. This is not like it's an industry that's backed uh, by the government like other lending industries are. Mm -hmm. I would say uh, what is becoming very clear is that others will come into severe financial stress. Yeah. Take BlockFi, for example, which just today had mentioned they hired a financial advisor to sort this through. I mean, well, this is the irony, right? Because CZ is now trying to be the white knight. Previously, it had been Sam Bankman-Fried who had been the white knight bailing out Celsius, Voyager, BlockFi, as you just mentioned, BlockFi. What of these companies that had depended upon FTX sources for resilience? And an interesting thing I would point out myself this morning is that on that Ask Me Anything spaces that CZ had held, he had mentioned that he was not relying on venture capital money. Yet you look at all the venture capitalists that had poured so much money into the crypto space and have lost money on the back of it, they may indeed need to also figure out their own ways to figure out how to inject more liquidity into some of the companies that they had provided funding to, because otherwise they may have to take more losses. And so are some of these uh, uh, saving opportunities coming out of a point of weakness? You do hear, uh, he did say, CZ, this morning on that Twitter spaces that for some people this is a good opportunity mm. to buy at suppressed prices, and that like the past, this might be an opportunity to buy things during a, um, a point in time that we may not remember years later, although I can't imagine not remembering. I think everyone's going to remember these losses. Two weeks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, with all the chaos, and I guess my mind goes to confusion, you start thinking about regulators, right, Shanali, CFTC. How empowering is the negative headlines we've seen to a regulator and how they could act in this industry going forward? I wouldn't get so excited about the power of regulators to move forward so quickly, Ed. If you think about it, FTX itself, FTX's US's arm, US arm had a proposal to change some rules regarding clearinghouse intermediation in the crypto industry with the CFTC. So clearly, the FTX was working with regulators here. Regulators might not be so quickly to move on on certain proposals here with that type of mistrust looming in the industry and the, being so close to the brink of changing rules from one of the major players that is the poster child now of the crypto collapse of 2022. On the other hand, people have lost money at scale here. So it's not just the CFTC, but the SEC and other regulators that might move faster in order to protect consumer funds as they pertain to the United States and where those funds are kept at the end of the day and how importantly he how they are classified because no matter what you can you put as many protections as you want in retrospect until the industry and the CFTC and SEC can put definitions on some of these things which is clearly still an issue at play here it's hard to imagine the regulators moving forward in any meaningful way all right Bloomberg Shanali Basak thank you this is a story that has many days to run I'm sure The economy does not look great right now. Things are slowing down. You're seeing layoffs in many, many sectors of the economy. People are, are, are slowing down. Um, the probabilities say if we're not in a recession right now, we're likely to be in one very soon. So my advice to people, whether they're small business owners or, you know, is uh, uh, take some risk off the table. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos there on CNN earlier talking all about the layoffs. And of course, then we learn that Amazon itself is planning for its largest ever round of layoffs, cutting well up to potentially 10,000 employees, according to sources. We want to dive into the current pullback in tech hiring, the valuations 
with none other than a Silicon Valley venture capitalist you know well, Vinod Kozla, founder of Kozla Ventures, one of the largest global venture firms with approximately $15 billion in assets under management. Vinod, it is times like this we turn to you and your experience, your expertise. More layoffs to come, more, more reticence to invest even from a VC perspective, do you think? I don't think there's res- reticence to invest from a VC perspective, but there will be more layoffs to come. I think the era of exuberance caused companies to take on a lot of fat. Good margins, good cash flows allow people to be sloppy about expense control and what really matters. Everything is okay to do because one can afford it. I think now's a very good time to do that reckoning and fix things, cut off the extra fat, get back to the basics. I do, think we'll see, I do think we'll see the best investing in the next decade in technology. Mr. Kosler, you have been in this industry for 36 years, and respectfully, uh, you've seen a few recessions, and we keep hearing that we're destined for recession, but some of the best companies are born out of recession. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. You know, when uh, when Google and Amazon and Facebook are cutting off their most advanced projects and their best, most radical projects, those are the very people who do great startups. They will be leaving and starting new companies and that those will show up on your radar screen five years from now. But our, our radar screen very soon. Vinod, talk to us a little bit about the area of crypto, the ripple effects that that's had, and indeed what we're learning in terms of the legacy of a founder. When you've invested money within people, of course you keep on believing in that individual. How do you know when it's the right time to pull the plug? Well, that's for every venture capitalist to decide for themselves, and venture capitalists are big boys, so we don't need to worry about venture capitalists. There's a lot of other people, consumers, that get hurt in this that we need to worry about. I'm actually optimistic with the SBX fiasco that the regulators will step up and be much more aggressive. I was a little bit optimistic when they imposed a fine on Kim Kardashian. I think way more enforcement, way more clarity on what the regulations are, less fighting between the various agencies doing regulation. I think this is a real opportunity to enable crypto for the real world of business not the crypto world alone. I separate crypto as crypto for crypto world and crypto for the real world, building real businesses that impact what we know as businesses today. And I think if the regulators step up, as I hope they will, this will really enable that. I mean, much of this, the blame can be laid on the SEC and others who haven't stepped up and provided clarity on what is possible, what's a token, what's a security, What can you do and what can't you do? I think it's a real opportunity and I hope the uh, crumbling of FTX provides pressure to do this on the regulators. Vinod, cryptocurrency meltdown has kind of dominated headlines. So has President Biden's meeting with Xi Jinping. You told us in June that the US and China were headed for a techno-economic war. Were you right? Well, I've always believed that, and I think this is a 20, 30-year perspective, not a one-year perspective. I totally believe that, and it will continue to be the case. 
but we can compete in a more civilized manner with a clearer set of rules of what is acceptable behavior in this. For example, cyber espionage is not acceptable. Um, I think it'll help to talk and it, it will, but we will still be in this battle. And frankly, the world will be better off if two people are competing with the good set of well-defined rules for technology. But the, if the Western world wins the technology battle, they'll win the political and economic battle too. Vinod, another area you're focused on is climate tech. Our latest data from Bloomberg New Energy Finance showed the third straight quarter drop in VC and private equity investment into climate tech. You wrote in that op-ed in The Economist that we are too focused on 2030 climate goals and we need to be more focused on the longer term, 2050 climate goals. How does that drive your investment decisions, the startups that you are or are not putting money into in that sector? So our job is to invest early. You know, when people are requiring five or $10 million to do something, the bulk of the deployment comes in mature technologies and uh, that's not our business. But what we invest in should be a prototype of proven technology by 2030 and deployed by 2040 and hopefully fully deployed by 2050. That's sort of the perspective we keep in mind. Nothing we invest in gets to liquidity in less than five to 10 years. And so with that in mind, the current perturbations up and down don't matter as much except to keep these companies funded, which is what we worry about by being more or less conservative depending upon what the markets are doing. But of course, you've written about the thing that you need to be if you're a VC is optimistic. So let's finish on an optimistic moment. Where are you thinking of allocating money? Which are the areas that you think will be the diamonds in the rough at this particular market where we are worried about an economic dial back? We are worried about the amount of money being put to work. Well, the largest investment we've ever made was in OpenAI. So AI is definitely more transformative than most people imagine. Uh, we did that five years ago, and I'd say that world has accelerated dramatically over the last five years. So I'm very happy with that. I think it'll be a very, very rich area. It'll be more disruptive to incumbents than most people realize. Uh, and that is something we do need to both take advantage of as uh, the disruptors and mostly on the disrupting side, but also in how to partner with the right incumbents to cause a lot of change to happen. Climate will continue to be a big area. And I think the application of AI to healthcare will be very, very important. I've talked a lot about that. I'm much more confident that uh, that will be disrupted in a way people can't imagine today in, in the next decade or so. So lots of areas and lots of technology enablers, whether it's AI, 3D printing, um, computational techniques in general, all leading to very, very promising areas for tech-based investing. All right, Vinod Kosla, founder of Kosla Ventures. Thank you. What an honor it is to have you on the show this Monday. Coming up, Apple's working on its next major product, a mixed reality headset. We'll talk about metaverse composition and more next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? 
Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Time for talking tech. Apple's mixed reality headset may be a year away, but we've been asking you in the audience which company you think wins out in the race to the metaverse. Most people responded Apple, even though Meta, the parent company of Facebook, already dominates the market for virtual reality. It's an interesting one because Meta has such a big head start, but you out there think that it's Apple that's going to win in the long run. And we have some clues about what they'll do. We think that we'll have a 3D virtual world, a according to job postings on Apple's site and Bloomberg's reporting, and a video service is going to be a key feature. Keep watching. Sticking with virtual and the metaverse, Nike announcing an online store for trading and purchase of virtual sneakers. Bear with me on this one. This is Dot Swoosh, where you can go to the platform, and it's the latest bet from Nike's management on the metaverse, all for a marketplace on digital sneakers. That's your talking tech. Caroline. Someone somewhere still caring about that metaverse bet, caring about those NFTs that are related to it, Nike among them. Tot swoosh, I love it, Ed. This is Bloomberg Technology. Ed Ludlow there in San Francisco. Hello. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And Ed, before we go out to you, we want to be discussing how geopolitics front and center this week, G20 upon us. It appears that the US and China relationship is kind of warming up. Is that what you're watching? Yeah, we're trying to read the markets because the on-camera relationship between Biden and Xi might be a little different to what we're hearing from inside China and Chinese officials. You look at the technology sector, a lot of red on the board to start the week, but it was actually the US-listed China ADRs that did better, outperform looking at the NASDAQ Golden Dragon China Index. 
On camera, there's a warming of relationships. Going into this meeting, we were super focused on semiconductors. The SOC's actually closing down 1% because a lot of what policy action from the US has focused on is curbing technology exports, chip exports to China. Now, that's on camera. Off camera, we actually got a pretty blunt state from, from the Chinese foreign ministry that pointed out, referring to existing US policy, that starting a trade war or technology war is not what China wants to be doing right now. They're talking about it not being in the best interests of the economy. So even though we had a very sort of public show of affection between the two nations, there's a lot of concern here about what the US is doing to curb technology exports to China. And China's tech sector has been hit. It's a clear global laggage. You look at the Hang Seng Tech Index, for example, those are Hong Kong listed Chinese tech stocks. It's really lags behind tech stocks, not just in the United States, but in Europe as well. November has been better. We've seen a recovery in that sector in China. A big part of that being the easing of COVID zero policy in China. But the, the, the issue around US curbing chip technology exports to the United States still kind of top of mind when it comes to the relationship between the two nations, even if the macro or the economic picture is improving slightly. Yeah, and really well put. And let's just go even more broad with that relationship because President Biden, Xi Jinping, of course, did meet for about three hours, we understand, in Bali, Indonesia. And look, they did agree on a series of goodwill gestures, but there were still some areas of disagreement. Just take a listen. Well, I made it clear to uh, President Xi Jinping that I thought they had an obligation to attempt to make it clear to North Korea that they should not engage in long-range nuclear tests. And I made it clear as well that if they did, they, meaning North Korea, that we would have to take certain actions that would be more defensive on, on our behalf, and it would not be directed against North Korea. I mean, excuse me, it would not be directed against China, but it would be to send them a clear message to North Korea. Concerns about North Korea, concerns about, of course, Russia-Ukraine, and then the ongoing concerns about economic ties. Let's delve back into the whole chip sector now with Bloomberg's Debbie Wu, who typically is in Taipei, but she's visiting us right now. She's in San Francisco. And Debbie, go back to what seemed to be a real effort from both the Biden camp and Xi Jinping's camp to try and warm up relations, to at least start ties once again, relationships to be a little bit better and progressive. Is that going to help the chip sector a little? Uh, perhaps. So uh, President Biden said today that uh, he didn't see the need for a uh, uh, new Cold War after a meeting with uh, Chinese leader uh, Xi Jinping. But uh, what we have seen um, over the past uh, few months is also a little bit worrying because uh, US, uh, U.S. unveiled sweeping restrictions in early October to uh, restrict China's access to uh, uh, chip technologies. And Washington also wants allies, including the Netherlands and Japan, to come on board to uh, help suppress China's uh, uh, development of a uh, domestic chip industry at home. And as to how this will uh, uh, build out, I think we need a little bit more time to see uh, what happens after uh, uh, Biden and, and Xi's meeting uh, earlier today. And then uh, uh, President Biden is also planning to send the uh, Secretary of State, uh, Antony Blinken, to uh, China early next year to sort of help resume uh, co uh, collaboration on a series of issues, including uh, climate change and food security, and whether uh, the two countries might uh, warm on uh, the uh, tech front. Uh, I think we all have to uh, wait and see. Debbie, it's interesting. We talked about the 
on-camera relationship between President Biden and Xi, and then the off-camera statements from China's foreign ministry. But the reality is that in the background, the United States has been trying to get allies on board as a part, as to participate, right, in, in technology export curbs. How do they go about convincing their allies to participate? So uh, uh, two, two senior U.S. officials are expected to visit the Netherlands this month to uh, speak with their uh, Dutch counterpart about export control issues, although there is no deal expected out of uh, this uh, new round of talks. And at the same time, though, uh, American officials have repeatedly said in public that uh, if allies do not come on board with the uh, 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 to uh, sort of al uh, align with the U.S. on the latest export control measures, then uh, the uh, what the U.S. has in its toolbox is to ban the uh, sales of uh, foreign chip production equipment that contains even the smallest amounts of, of uh, American technology to China. So that's what the U.S. can do. So clearly, there's an implicit uh, threat from. Washington that uh, they can certainly uh, uh, coerce or force the allies to do certain things. Although right now what we see is it seems like uh, the administration still wants uh, allies to kind of like more uh, collaborate rather than uh, sort of uh, single-handedly being forced by U.S. to uh, uh, go toward that direction. Debbie, it's interesting, of course, later this week we have NVIDIA with its numbers, 25% of its revenue coming from China, a deep relationship there. How much have you seen the knock-on effects of the steps taken so far by the administration and how much corporate America and indeed corporate China have been speaking out against it? So uh, NVIDIA, together with uh, several other U.S. chip firms, have said that uh, the latest export control measures will cost them uh, millions or even billions of dollars in uh, sales uh, in the Chinese market. So uh, clearly they would uh, hope to see a bit more uh, uh, loosening of restrictions in the future. But at the same time, in NVIDIA's case, they have uh, what they are trying to do is to uh, sort of uh, uh, design uh, a new set of uh, products that can sort of meet the U.S. export control threshold so that way they can continue to do business in China and minimize impact from the latest U.S. rules. We'll be delving into those numbers come 16th. We thank you so much, Debbie Wu, as always. Meanwhile, back here in the United States, let's just talk about a virtual health platform, Maven Clinic, because it's just raised $90 million, bringing its funding now up to in excess of $300 million, as it expands the care for women and family health. It's a Series E, got led by General Catalyst, as well as CVS Health Ventures, to name but a few of the players. I was lucky enough to catch up with Maven Clinic CEO, Kate Ryder, exclusively about her vision for the growing company amid, of course, these tech layoffs and the economic uncertainty. What we represent in terms of, of an investment is not just kind of, you know, reducing health care costs. Um, you know, fertility and maternity are, are some of the top costs, um, you know, at, at companies. And, and so certainly we, we have that as part of our value proposition. But really it's about investing in diversity, equity and inclusion. And I think that's still very top of mind for, for a lot of employers. And so, you know, given if they're looking at where to prioritize, you know, that we have a double bottom line value proposition of both cost reduction as well as improving DEI. I mean, we're also, the, the labor market may be loosening up, but we're still at a time where, you know, there's been the lowest rates of female participation in the workforce in decades. And, you know, and, and from an inclusion and belonging standpoint, I think employers are still trying to figure out how to build those strategies. And so Maven supports across all those fronts. So interesting. So you don't feel that there might be any wavering from a leadership perspective in businesses to be thinking about DEI at the time that the pendulum slightly swings from any 
economic perspective? You know, we, we've certainly seen a, a few of our um, of our prospects this year um, in our pipeline kind of say, okay, we're going to pull back a little bit. We're not going to invest. But but no, I mean, I think that when you do have to make tough decisions around labor force and 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 you know driving layoff and, and putting out layoffs, you also want to deliver some good news alongside of that and uh, and and make sure that you're you're continuing to build a really strong culture and, and take care of the people you have. And so you know, Maven. maven is a is a, a way to do that and, and enhancing benefits here for, for working families is is certainly one way to do that. I mean even internally um, for us it's, it's something we think about. Yeah, talk to us about how you're thinking internally at the moment. Your own people, are you hiring freeze? Is a hiring freeze? Are you still hiring? How are you looking to expand the team or have to cut it? Yeah, no, we're not. Uh, we're very fortunate um, where we are continuing to grow, not quite as aggressively maybe as we would have grown in 2021. Um, and we are really kind of looking at where every single dollar is spent. I think every single business now, um, you know, is, is, is really sharpening those pencils and ensuring that if, if they're not already profitable, that you are on that path. And, and certainly you know, your core products are. Um, but for us, um, you know, we we are still in, in, in high growth mode. And so we're able to, you know, we're expecting to grow our, our headcount by you know 20% next year, um, not across um, you know all teams, but certainly you know our core product engineering clinical teams, um, we will still be hiring uh, quite a bit. And therefore, Kate, when you're thinking of your people and also recompensing them, what about an exit strategy here? You're now worth in the billions. You've just raised another funding round. You're good in terms of money raised. But do you look at the public markets and think, what is our exit strategy here? Or is that not entering the head? Well, I can tell you, I'm very happy that we're not a public company right now. Um, but I, I, I think absolutely that is in our future when it's the right time. Um, I don't think it's an end event in and of itself. But for us, you know, I, I do think that we are in the very early innings of of, of innovation in, in healthcare, of digital health, of women's and family health. And so, you know, I think the world needs big, for-profit, apolitical healthcare companies that are just deeply focused on underserved populations populations like we are. Um, and so, you know, we, we want to stay independent and, and continue to grow and probably eventually exit um, in, the, in the public markets when the time's right. Maven Clinic CEO, Kate Ryder there. Coming up, we are joined by an early investor in FTX. What's he thinking now? This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice, or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. No one can protect a bad player, to be very frank. Um, well, if a guy is very good at lying and is very good at you know, just pretending to be what, not, what he's not, somebody wants to violate the law, the law is not going to prevent that. Uh, the law can help to reduce that. Um, as industry players, we should be more vocal about it. Uh, we, should, uh, we should set very strong standards for the industry. Finance CEO CZ throwing a little bit of shade there at FTX and indeed the bad actors at the G20 summit over in Bali. He went on to say that clearer crypto standards are more important than ever. Let's talk about the shade being thrown, about how investors feel. Sunny Singh, former chief commercial officer of BitPay, who invested in FTX in 2020 when the round was valuing the company at about 16 billion. It went on to raise another load of money at a $32 billion or thereabouts uh, valuation overall. Sunny, do you feel... There's a lot of still water to go under a bridge, a lot of learnings to be made. But do you think he's a liar? Do you think in some way that he was a bad actor? Or what do you make of your investment? Yeah, I, I think he, uh, he got a little over his head, I think. You know, the team is very young. That's the first thing you'll notice when you meet with people from FTX. They're all very young, kind of inexperienced. You know, Sam had worked a couple of years at a hedge fund as a quant trader, maybe something like that. And all of a sudden now he's running a $16 billion global company that was hiring people all over the world. So that's very tough to manage. And normally companies like that, you see, you know, McKinsey consult, ex-McKinsey people working there, executives. Harvard Business School people, none of those people were there. It was just a very young team that was very well. They're all great people, and they work 24-7. And so I'm not sure what they knew what Sam was doing and all that, but that, that's how it ended up where it is today, unfortunately. When you sat down with Sam and he pitched his vision to you and you decided to invest, what was it about him that pushed you to invest? Was it data, empirical analysis? Was it him? Yeah, so I had met Sam once on a call. We were doing, trying to explain the crypto payment system while I was at BitPay. And we spent a lot of time together on that. And I spent a lot more time with the rest of his team, actually. And so when they were raising the round, they invited me if I wanted to invest. And the deck they sent me was actually pretty white for a $16 billion round. It was only 10 slides. But one of the slides happened to say that in 2021, we'll do $1.2 billion of revenue, $800 million of net income, and only 100 employees. That really was a selling point, actually, in what they were doing. So that was pretty remarkable. What was absent from that deck was any mention of Alameda research right. or FTX tokens. What do you feel now, Sonny? So I feel a little bit 
you know, again, I, I didn't invest $200 million away Sequoia did. I only have to answer to my wife. Um, so it's a little different that way. I, I'm more That's upset almost more important. <laughs> yes. I, I'm more upset for the industry and what happened. It's another black eye. Obviously, there were some red flags, but in investing, people go with momentum anyways. It was more that he really preached himself as the leader of this whole movement, working with regulators and all that. And I went to the FTX conference, which was in Bahamas last year, which is very professionally done. FTX is going to be an investor in my new company I'm launching pretty soon. So I have really a lot of trust and faith in them. And I love the team. The team worked 24-7. They're great people. They're hustling. And they all, unfortunately, probably lost everything in equity and all that. So it is a shame what happened, but it's more a black eye for the industry. And we, we, we need to we keep shooting ourselves in the foot. Again, Bitcoin didn't fail us, right? Bitcoin, the crypto companies, were, crypto currencies were all fine. It was bad actors doing bad things again, which is why Bitcoin was created in the first place. Sonny, you just said, I think, that FTX is an investor in your new company. What was that experience like? Because there's been some remarkable reporting coming from Interni and Bloomberg about how that seemed very muddied at the time of where the money and the funds were coming from. Did you get the money from an FTX-related in place, uh, institution? Yeah, so we never actually called that money yet, luckily, so we never had to worry about that. Um, but yes, that is going to be have to unravel. FTX slash Alameda, by the way, is an investor in many companies uh, throughout the crypto industry. And how that unwinds now, we're not sure. And what does FTX do with all the tokens they own, too, like Solana tokens? They own several billion dollars of Solana tokens. If they have to unload all that, what happens to the Solana market and things like that? So there's a lot of companies that have FTX slash Alameda, again, on the cap. I think Alameda invested in more companies than FTX. Um, and what happens with all that remains to be seen. How have you recalibrated then? Have you had to reevaluate everything that you know and think about this industry? So I've been in crypto for eight years, so nine years probably now. So we've seen a lot of ups and downs. And again, not your keys, not your coins is becoming more of a saying again. And the thing about FTX was it wasn't widely used by a lot of people, especially in America. It was more used by kind of hedge funds, crypto funds offshore that were doing a lot of trading and all that. And they had a great user experience. So they're the ones that are going to hit. So I don't see it affecting many other crypto companies throughout the world like Coinbase, Gemini, BitPay, Kraken, etc. All of the older companies never FTX just came out in the last three years. We didn't have a chance to even work with them. We didn't, they came on so fast. And so, unfortunately, in the last three years, what's happened in this cycle is all about leverage. And that never happened six years ago. So that's a new thing that's created in the industry now, which, again, didn't need to happen, which, again, is us shooting ourselves in the foot, I feel like. Well, we, we started this conversation talking about how you invested in SBF. You have also sought to raise money for your own ventures. Do, do you just see VCs cancelling meetings now? Yes. Yeah, so the, the traditional Silicon Valley VCs are spooked, to say the least. Crypto VCs aren't as much spooked because they see this as Bitcoin performed well. It wasn't Bitcoin's fault. This was a bad actor, and this is why Bitcoin was created, to help prevent these type of things. And unfortunately, we got hit by that. So they believe Bitcoin will be $100,000 in the next three years. And so they have big funds already. So they're investing still at the same pace. That's their belief in all that. Traditional Silicon Valley VCs are much more hesitant now to invest in crypto companies, actually. We're seeing that. And they're, invest they're hesitant to invest in anything right now, Silicon Valley VCs anyways right now. Sunny, almost the failure here was the centralization of decentralized crypto. And I'm interested in, therefore, what, when we see a CZ trying to be the new white knight, is that the way in which the industry resurrects itself, another centralized position there? Yeah, so that, that is the big question, right? And that's the problem, right? And 
you know, Binance, funny enough, was the one three, four years ago the regulators hated the most, actually. They are the ones having all the issues with the regulators, and Coinbase was kind of the gold star, and, and FTX was new on the scene trying to become like Coinbase and saying, we're not Binance, we're like Coinbase and all that. And so CZ, I think, you know, was always, Binance was in a bad light with the regulators, and now he's coming on as this white knight, but, you know, he's still got a, they, Binance still has a lot of issues to sort out with regulators, too. So I don't think they're the savior. The savior is higher, having proper governance, getting regulators, regulations involved, and unfortunately, I think regulations will probably happen, but they'll probably overdo it, which I guess is better than not doing it. So I think we'll see that coming probably in the next year or so. Really great to get your personal anecdotes, your professional take, and indeed, well, thank you for coming on when you're still being raising money for your own new venture. We thank you so much, former Chief Commissioner. Thank you guys very much. At BitPay. Come back with the new company that you're with. Well, if you haven't checked out what's trending on Twitter, if you failed to notice all the TikToks and the Instagram reels about it, well, you should have known that it was a record-breaking weekend for the box office of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It surpassed all expectations. $180 million taken in here in the United States alone. $330 million raked in worldwide. Now, this makes it the best ever opening at the box office for the month of November. Now, it's about 13th in line if you're looking at opening weekends overall. And let's stack it up to how it's helped the likes of theater chains such as AMC. Look, at one point, the shares popped as much as about 9% or so. They came back down, but still AMC on the higher side as people get excited about us returning to the theaters, getting that popcorn. Let's look at, though, where it compares against some of the other Marvel franchises. Because, look, Avengers Endgame cleaned it up. We know that it brought in $357 million. And actually, it's still below the takings for the opening weekend of Black Panther itself. Nevertheless, a great turnout overall, Ed. And really, my key question is, have you watched it yet? I have not, but it's on the weekend list, Carol. <laughs> you got to take my word for it. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Tuesday, we have Andrea Warney to discuss how VCs are recalculating valuations of crypto firms. And do not forget, check out our podcast because we are everywhere you want to be socially. Look at the terminal. You go to Apple, Spotify, iHeart if you want to have us in our audio version. But for now, from New York, from San Francisco, this brave new world of a new tech show, this is Bloomberg. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.